Vintage Leaf Memories, along as always with Michael Stevens from the Maple Leaf Hot Stove, uh, one of the fine leaf sites uh, around probably, uh, some will say the best on the planet. Michael, I don't know if I should go that far, but I think it is, so I, it's always great to do this with you. My unbiased opinion totally is, and uh, thank yes. you, always glad to be, always glad to be on. Absolutely. Uh, so listen, we're going to introduce our, our, our guest in a moment on this special, can I call it a special Mother's Day edition? This Michael? is going out, going out to all the moms. All um, the moms, all absolutely, on, on, uh, on a special edition then of the, of the Maple Leaf Hangout. And we haven't chatted since just before when we thought the Leafs still would, would make the playoffs. They did not, because we want to get to our guest, of course, quickly today, Michael, but in sort of 15 seconds or less, you were surprised, shocked, dismayed, disappointed, uh, unperturbed when it all happened. Uh, how did you feel at the time? Uh, I was incredulous by the beginning and probably numb, uh, numb to it all within five seconds. It's uh, it's been a long time coming of seeing this futility, right? Uh, a decade, a decade strong now. Well, and it's it seems like too many seasons in a row where it ends way worse than we had expected or anticipated from based on earlier in the season is what I'm saying, right? I think you know I think so much of what it is is that is that it's it's they're they're a high event team in the sense that if anything goes poorly, it's like the Hindenburg. I mean, there can be there's peaks, but then there's also just shattering, soul-crushing, existential question-asking time period sort of blow-ups for the least. I think that's really what the uh, the issue is. Not enough in not enough in the middle. I mean, I was I look at the Canadians now doing what they're doing, and I I always thought of them as sort of like the inoffensive little brother the last couple of years. You know, like they were just there. You know, small they hang team, around. small team, speedy, and but there they are, to giving the Bruins everything they can. Anyway, listen, let's introduce our special guest today, uh, Michael, and that of course is uh, somebody who's been with us before, Sean McIndoe the founder, if you will, creator of uh, what is arguably the best humor hockey site around, Down Goes Brown. Sean, welcome and thanks for joining us again. You, you've been a, a great guest in the past, so we're happy to have you on in this sort of mid-May Mother's Day edition of the Maple Leaf Hangout. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for having me back on. Listen, Sean, I, I, I'm going to ask you a couple of things and Michael will, will, will pipe in. I'm, I know he's got plenty to chat on. First, I know from talking to you in the past, um, your history in recent years is Ottawa, correct? So you've been an Ottawa guy for not not originally. You were a, a GT, a, a Greater Toronto Area guy in your early life, and thus you've explained in the past how you sort of fell in love with the Leafs. You're surrounded by a lot of Senators fans, correct? Absolutely. Now, now their season did not did it make it any less miserable for you? As a Leaf guy, that this that the that you're surrounded by a lot of Senators people, and their season did not end well either. So the sort of misery loves company thing. Any solace in that, or that's not good enough? It, it maybe maybe a very small amount. Uh, you know, I, I'm like most Maple Leafs fans in that uh, I care about the Ottawa Senators a, a lot less than most Senator fans seem to care about the Maple Leafs. Uh, but there is that element when living here that I know that when the Senators are going good and the Leafs are not, I'm going to hear about it constantly from everyone. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the fact that the Senators were, were probably every bit as bad as the Leafs this year maybe bought me a little bit of a, a, little bit of a comfort zone. Well, yeah, to, to harken back to Michael's term, how he felt about the Leaf season at, by the end, he used the term numb, I believe. So they're probably, Ottawa fans were probably a little bit numb themselves that they didn't achieve what, what they were hoping to. I know Michael wants to, and I do too, talk about the, if we can call it, the arrival of Shanahan. Nonus is still here. Carlisle gets an extension. But before we get to that, I, I, I'd like your current views on, on uh, and I'm going to throw out the name Tim Laiwiki. You can talk about him or not. But my question, Sean, is this, and, and you've been following this this team for many, many years. Do you ever tire of new, I'll call them new, you know, MLSE leaders coming in and talking about culture change? I, I find it personally just, it just doesn't resonate with me. hasn't for ages. When I hear it, I just, I tune out completely. But this this phrase and all the associated phrases around culture change and expectations. Does does it trouble you? Do you not care? What what are your views? No, I, I I mean, I spent before I was doing the writing thing full time. I spent close to fifteen years working a corporate job, uh, and I saw lots of CEOs come in and go. I saw a lot of executives come and go, 
And I think every single one of them that ever came in always promised that we were about to change the culture. They promised that they were going to figure out what had been going wrong and that they were going to uh, they were going to single-handedly be the one who was finally smart enough to figure it all out and fix it. Uh, and, and they never were. Nothing ever changed. It was just meaningless corporate buzzwords. Uh, it was just noise for the sake of noise. Um, and, and certainly those of us who were subjected to it, we figured that out pretty quickly and, uh, and didn't pay much attention to it. And, and that's the same thing that I see with the Maple Leafs. It sounds nice. Um, this is the way that corporate CEOs and, and high-ranking executives talk to each other. Uh, these kind of meaningless words about culture change and, and you know all, all of these other things. But it doesn't mean anything without action. It doesn't mean anything um, when when you're saying it and then not making any significant changes. And uh, you know, I've made the point in the past. It, it's got to be enormously frustrating to be an employee of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. I, you know, I'm not talking in in the front office. I'm just talking somebody who you know who goes to work nine to five, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and you got to constantly listen to these big shot millionaire executives come in and talk about the losing culture and, and talk about how it's their wisdom that's going to switch everything around. Uh, you know, I can't imagine there's much more demoralizing than, than every couple of years having to listen to some new guy in a suit come in and tell you what a bunch of losers you are. Um, but, uh, you know, as a fan, I'd be more than happy uh, to listen to guys do that if they ever actually did fix it. And, and I, none of these guys have any sort of plan or vision of how to actually do that. This, this is just something that they say. It, it's interesting. I always find, and I know Michael will want to jump in here, I always find, Sean, that uh, th these guys, these people come in and they, they talk about, like, they talk like they invented excellence. Uh, and there's just no shred of evidence that that, that is true. And, and, it, and it, as you said, it's, it's just words. In many cases, it turns into empty words. And I'm not saying the players are impacted, but they maybe they're inured. I mean, they just, it just bounces off them, I would think, at some point, because they are, they're just hollow expressions. Yeah, and and to be clear, I, I don't doubt that there is such a thing as a winning culture, and I don't doubt that a good executive, a good CEO, whatever the role is going to be, can can come in uh, and really change the direction through force of personality and, and, and through having an actual vision. Uh, and I, I believe that in the sports world, and I believe it outside the sports world in, in, in just sort of the regular corporate world. Um, but I also believe that saying it is the easiest thing in the world. Literally anybody can come in and say they're going to do it. Well, and I mean, anybody can say... In that. It's a question of what do they do. It's, okay, you say you're going to change it, okay, now show me. And, uh, you know, so often when, when it comes to Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, um, it, it's lots of talk, uh, but when it comes down to actually show, there, there's absolutely nothing there. And I think that I think that actual acumen is 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 so rare. Uh, you know, you have visionaries in any walk of life that can change around the whole corporate identity. But everybody who steps in, certainly everybody stepping in at MLSE, seems to be trying to say that they are this almost messiah figure to save it. I mean, Burke was going to do it with his blustery personality and his take no you know no nonsense everything and and truculence. Now, why Wiki's doing it with this? I don't know. Seems much more Hollywood. Um, sort of take of, of of fixing everything as as if there's as if there's tiny little holes that aren't gaping and porous. Um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's absolutely uh, just a ridiculous spiel. I think worse though is that uh, you know you had Liwicky, uh before the end of the season saying something along the lines of oh well we fixed the Raptors and we we think we fixed TFC and we're gonna find out if the Leafs need fixing or have been fixed. Um, well, they clearly need fixing, and I don't think Lawicki has any idea what he's doing to even make sure that that happens. And I don't think Shanahan is is now going to be the guy to make any any changes come in because uh, they kept he's he's kept on the status quo. Um, you know, they made they made a change to bring in this this great new guy, and there's nothing going on. Yeah, and and I had a lot of hope for for Tim Lawicki when he came in because he had had some success out in L.A. Uh, and, and not knowing all that much about him, there was at least the possibility that this was going to be one of the rare guys to, who actually could get things moving in the right direction. And uh, you know, maybe maybe it's still there. Uh, who knows? But I, I'm certainly not filled with 
with confidence whenever I, I hear him speak uh, on, on the Maple Leafs or even on the other teams. I mean, the fact that he was willing to declare that he had fixed the uh, the soccer team after something like three games, uh, you know, that that's that's the kind of results-oriented thinking of just look at the standings and if we're over 500, then we're fixed. Uh, and it doesn't really matter what, what the process that's gone into it is. Uh, you know, it's it's that kind of short-sighted view that... Uh, um, certainly doesn't doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence that he's going to have uh, a different result with the Maple Leafs. Now, but why do you think that sort of hubris, though? And that's what it really strikes me as, as being. I mean, it's it's you know, look at the record uh, for this for this hubris. Three games in, it's a long season. It seems to be more frequent or more public in Toronto than maybe other other sports cities. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's possible, and and some of it may be that look, if if you're going to be um, you know, an NHL general manager like Brian Burke, or you're going to be a corporate CEO at Tim Wicky type, you need to have a certain amount of hubris. You need to have a certain amount of self-confidence. And, and I, you know, I don't think that uh, shrinking violets do very well in those sorts of roles, and, and certainly not in a market like Toronto. So, I mean, maybe we should expect it to some extent. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know that I'm I'm necessarily that bothered or offended by it. It's It, it just does absolutely nothing to move the needle in the right direction, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm frankly at the point where I really don't care what these guys say. I just want to see what they do, and and obviously, uh, you know, that the, there hasn't been much to be positive about in that area uh, for a long time now. Uh, you know, Sean, from my perspective, I look at organizations like in football, for example. You know, Robert Kraft, I, I think, arguably created a winning culture with the New England Patriots. He brought in a, a leader in Bill Belichick. And they've been a, a winning organization, you know, for the past what is it, almost 15 years now. Uh, look at the Red Wings with Mike Illich as, as you know, again an individual owner, very different from the corporate uh, conglomerate ownership of, of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. But he has someone like like uh, Kenny Holland, a coach that everybody admires in Babcock. I mean, there was a, a culture shift. It started actually with Jimmy Devolano, who came over from the Islanders, who had, a, who had developed a winning culture. So there's a couple of examples to me of, of what we're talking about. But I want to get your take on, on, on Shanahan. What was your sort of gut instinct? You talked about your, your gut instinct of hope when Laiwiki came in, and you sound a little bit disappointed in sort of his, you know, what he has and hasn't done in the in the time since he arrived. What about Shanahan? What was your gut instinct? Positive, hopeful, not so sure. Where, where do you stand? I mean, I would say cautiously optimistic. When they made that announcement, obviously we were, we were all kind of in the dark a little bit because we didn't know specifically what the role was going to be, how, how the reporting structure was going to work. We still don't know that. Um, but we, uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of respect for Brendan Shanahan. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think that I, I even made the case that having a guy like that come in uh, who was a you know, well-known former player, a well-known executive at the league level, could be the face of the franchise, that that could really be a positive because that could free the Maple Leafs up uh, to go out and, uh, and, and, and find coaches and front office people who maybe necessarily weren't uh, those face of the franchise type guys, but were the best candidates. And, and you let Brandon handle the handle the media and the TV cameras and uh, um, let everyone else get to work. So, you know, I, I was I was cautiously optimistic, uh, but at the same time it came down to, okay, show me uh, what you're going to do. And, and, and I, you know, I was one of those who felt like this was an organization that was facing a, an awful lot of really tough calls um, in the short term. Uh, and I felt like the Randy Carlisle decision was not one of those tough calls. I, I, I thought that that was an easy one. Uh, and, uh, and and obviously, uh, you know, I, I didn't agree with the decision they ended up making. So that it, it's it's hard for me to have a lot of confidence right now. And, and granted, it's it's still early. So I'm I'm not going to sit here and definitively say that that this can't work or that it won't work. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I I really felt like making a coaching change was pretty much the easiest decision that they had on their checklist going forward. And and to see them. Uh, make the call that they did. Uh, it, it's it, it's certainly hard to feel a, a lot of optimism for for how the rest of that list is going to be handled. We're talking with Sean McIndoe, the creator of Down Goes Brown, about the current Leaf situation. Michael, I know you've got some thoughts. You were telling me before we went on the air 
you were, uh, you know, certainly expecting a coaching change yourself, just as Sean just acknowledged he was, and, and, and I'm sure you've got some some questions for Sean along the Carlisle uh, lines. Well, I, it's maybe not so much a, a question, but it's it's a curious route to take. Um, you know, the first the first move that Shanahan really made of any significance is yes, the vote of confidence in Carlisle. Brendan Shanahan must not have watched TV in the last two and a half seasons because there's not a single person who's watched the Leafs team that should have any confidence in what Randy Carlisle can do. And instead, you see them fire a bunch of assistants. You get what uh, Barish, Cronin, and Gordon are out. Uh, do you think, I guess, Sean, this is a way of keeping the status quo in the short term while Shanahan learns the job ropes, but while also whittling away Carlisle's possible power base? Well, I mean, it, it does do that. Uh, I don't think there's any question that when, you know, we, we can all see the writing on the wall for Randy Carlisle a little bit here. Um, I, I, but, you know, to my mind, Randy Carlisle is either the guy you want and the guy you trust to guide this team, or he's not. And if he is, then get out of his way and let him do his job. And if he's not, then you say, thank you very much, Randy. You show him the door, and you find somebody who is going to fulfill that role for you. Uh, this kind of, you know, trying to cut the baby in half approach where we, you, you essentially end up scapegoating the assistants. And, and I was certainly no big fan of the, the assistant coaches that this team have. I, I'm not shedding any tears to see them go, but to, to try to present that, um, you know, as, as some sort of middle ground. I mean, look, depending on who they bring in, uh, it, you know, maybe they do bring in some guys who can who can open Randy Carlisle's eyes to, to some of the issues with this with this team and with his approach. Uh, uh, you know, again, I'm not saying it can't work. Uh, I just don't understand why you you go down the middle like that. And again, it, it gets back to the history of this team saying one thing and then doing another. Uh, Dave Nonis at, at at the media conference after they made the Randy Carlisle decision. Uh, had a quote that's that's gotten a lot of play over the last few few days, where he said that if if you're worried about optics in this town, you won't last long. It was something to that effect. Uh, this is a move that reeks of being worried about optics. I mean, they, to to scapegoat the assistants while you're keeping the main guy, and then to tack on an extension, uh, let everybody report about a two-year extension, and then have it come out a few days later that it's not really a two-year extension. I mean, that there is no reason to do that other than optics. Uh, and, and again, it's just a case of what, if I could boil down my concern with the current Leafs front office and the current Leafs organization, it's the fact that this these guys just seem um, so set on just telling themselves whatever they want to hear. They, you know, reality is not, you know, reality is just something that you deal with when you want to, and otherwise you just tell yourself a nice story and you say it out loud publicly, and you hope that enough people buy into it. And 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 you know, the optics thing—that's a small example of that. But again, you know, even when they're making this decision, they can't get through the press conference without saying something that's just uh, absolute nonsense. Do you not feel, Sean, that if if to your earlier point and, and bouncing off what Michael was saying as well, if if they really believed in Carlisle, then the announcement would have been that, that he would have been announcing a change in coaches because he wanted new coaches. But they've taken that away from him, and they're not even, they've made it clear, I think, that they're not even going to let him be the final judge of who the assistant coaches are going to be. So they've really clipped his wings. We see this at the NFL level sometimes. They don't quite fire the head coach, but they say, well, you've got to change your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, your special teams coordinator, and we know the next step is we're firing the head coach. But for whatever reason, they don't have the, the they don't make the decision to fire the coach. So I, I that part I do find confusing. They keep the coach, they give him a modest extension, as you say, not as long as they claim. But Sean, is do you not find it a bit baffling that if he really is their guy, they're really giving a mixed message then because they're not he, he didn't make the decision about his coaches, and he's not seemingly making the decision about who's coming in to be his assistant coaches now. Yeah, and 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 typically when you when you see this kind of situation in the sports world, it's for one of two reasons. One is that you've got a, a, a young coach, maybe an inexperienced coach, who you believe in, but you think he needs some veteran help. Uh, clearly, that's not the case with Randy Carlisle. Randy Carlisle has been around a long time. He is set in his way of doing things. And, and that's why I'm, you know, I don't share the optimism that some people have that these assistants are going to be able to come in and, and radically change things and improve things. 
um, because I don't buy into the idea that Randy Carlyle is is necessarily going to go along with that. Uh, let's not forget, this is a guy at his end of the season press conference. He was asked um, what his one, what he would say his one regret was from the season, as far as something that he personally wish he had done differently. Uh, and when you look at the performance of the team, obviously that's a question. There's any number of ways that he could answer that question. Uh, and instead of pointing to to anything that he actually did wrong. His answer instead was something along the lines of that he wished he had stuck to his guns more, uh, and, and especially early in the season. This is a guy who, at least at the time of that press conference, sounded like he was ready to double down on the Randy Carlisle way. Uh, now he's being put in a situation where uh, he's expected to, to take advice from people he didn't hire uh, or, or to hand over responsibility uh, to take guidance. I, I'm not convinced that it's going to work. The, the other reason that you typically see this kind of scenario come into play uh, is when it's uh, it, it's an obvious uh, case of building a succession plan where uh, you're bringing in an assistant who is going to be your next head coach. Exactly. Uh, and and the way that that works is, I mean, look, we, you know, if, if anyone who's been watching sports for a while, we know that situation when we see it. And so when you talk about bringing in a guy with head coaching experience, you've heard guys like Kirk Muller and Adam Oates have been mentioned. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk about, talk about Randy Carlisle being a lame duck and that that was part of the reason for the extension was because he couldn't be a lame duck. I can't imagine a more lame duck situation uh, than Randy Carlisle back behind the bench with assistant coaches that he didn't hire and assistant coaches that everyone is expecting are going to take his job as soon as things go south. I mean, how is that going to work for Randy Carlisle the first time they have a three-game losing streak? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kirk Muller or Adam Oates or whoever it is comes in and, and with suggestions on how to turn things around. Is Randy Carlisle going to trust them that they're actually there for what's best for the team, knowing that they lose one or two more games and it's Carlisle who's going to walk the plank and they're going to be the boss? Well, do you guys remember, Michael, you remember, and Sean, you remember, when Paul Maurice came in to coach the Marlies, everybody knew that he was Ferguson's guy and he was yeah. going to be the next coach of the Leafs, right? And now I was I was going to ask you, Michael, and then I'll bounce it over to Sean. Michael, do you have a sense, do you believe in the kind of conspiracy, uh, no, it's not really conspiracy theory, but this whole Babcock thing? that Babcock has one year left, and not that he's not enamored, I'm sure he's loved being in Detroit, but Detroit's kind of in a rebuild now, and maybe they'll get, bless him and send him on his way to another different you know, environment, and the Leafs would be welcome him in a year with open arms. Do you buy that? Because I'll, I'll ask you first, and then Sean can jump in. Well, I mean, I would like to say that that's not the pipe dream that the Leafs have been going for, because there have been coaching options available to them, um, at least for a while. They could have fired Carlisle and hired Peter Laviolette. There are there are other options. There's Barry Trotz is available. There are coaches with great pedigrees uh, available. They did not. They chose to stick with them. And if the Leafs have any track record of doing anything, it's they are willing to acquire their guy even years after the fact. It took them, what, a year and a half to woo Burke. It took them about, what, a year anyway to woo Carlisle. It took 30 years for them to finally get Brendan Shanahan in blue and white. Um, you know, I mean, they've done, they're willing to go after guys long, you know, and, and, and plan around it. Uh, so I suspect that, yeah, they're as, as asinine, as silly, and as, and as slim a chance, because of Babcock's great record, there's a good chance he'd be re-signed, uh, you know, or, 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 or extended in Detroit. But yeah, I can see that as being part of the idea of we'll bring in this great Canadian coach who's, who's identifiably loved and known for his success with getting a team wearing a Maple Leaf to win major important games. Uh, I can see that happening, um, but I think it's so much like so much of the, the planning that goes on with MLSC, it's a pipe dream, and it's probably not going to work out even if they do bring him in. Sean, sorry, Michael, I was just going to say, that make, I, I hear where you're going. Uh, Sean, do you have any kind of, any thoughts along those lines? The Babcock thing makes some sense, no sense at all to you? Where, where do you stand? Well, I mean, I, 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 I like Mike Babcock as the coach, and I'd love to see him in Toronto. Um, hope is not a plan. Hoping and wishing for something is not a plan. And, and hoping that Mike Babcock might come to Toronto next year is, is not a plan. And if that's uh, in any way the sort of approach the Leafs are taking, then they don't have a plan. What they have is wishful thinking. Um, now, maybe it goes deeper than that. Maybe there's there's been some contact made behind the scenes. Maybe they have reason to believe that, uh, that, he, that there's a very strong chance that uh, Mike Babcock would come to Toronto next year. Um, but I, 
I, I certainly hope they do. If this is in any way part of any kind of plan, uh, they better have a lot more than wishful thinking because we've seen that from this team over the years. Uh, you know, they, they were going to get the Sedin brothers, and then they didn't reach free agency, and then they didn't need to worry about a number one center because Ryan Getzlaff was going to hit free agency, and then he didn't. Uh, it, you know, th this team spends a lot of time waiting around for maybes uh, to come down the road that don't seem to show up. And, and you know, and I'll, I'll tell you, even if they do have Mike Babcock in their back pocket, which you know, I, I don't think anyone believes is the case. But uh, even if they do, I, I think it was Howard Berger who made the point that, that th this team has not earned the right to write off a season. And that's basically what they would be doing. They'd be writing off this season uh, in order to wait around for, for Mike Babcock to become available. And uh, you know, not only is that one more year that the fans have to watch losing hockey, but that is one more year of Phil Kessel's prime. That is one more year of James Van Riemsdyk's uh, excellent contract. Uh, that is uh, the last year of, uh, of Jonathan Bernier's uh, bridge contract before you're going to have to pay him an awful lot more. Uh, you know, th there's any number, and not to mention any number of guys that are on this team that are either in their prime or towards the end of it, uh, where you would expect you're going to start getting diminishing returns. Uh, this team's going to be in worse shape this time next year. So to write off another season in the hopes of getting a coach uh, down the line, uh, it's, I mean, that's, that's madness to me, on, unless you absolutely have it as a, as an absolute sure thing, um, which, uh, you know, I, I, that would be giving them a lot more credit for, uh, their ability to manipulate things behind the scenes, and I, I think they've shown any, any ability to be given. Uh, Sean and Michael, I'll, I'll start with Sean and, and Michael, I want to get your thoughts on this too. Are, are we letting the players off the hook, though, here? Um, I mean, this is the same, I know it's not the same group, a lot of changes since Wilson was fired, but there, there's still a core group of guys that were around when, when basically, you know, I don't want to say they tanked, nobody, it was not done intentionally, but they, they, you know, sort of fell off the rails a couple of years ago, Wilson was fired after he just got an extension. Um, I mean, are, are we, Sean, are we in any way taking our foot off the pedal when it comes to the players here, because we're looking at Nonus, we're looking at the coach, we're sort of not, not. I'm not saying you or Michael, but you know, blaming Carlisle. Uh, do the players not have? I mean, they're paid awfully well, and and they're not all 18 years old. There's only one guy under 20 here, right, on this team. These are young in, or veteran guys at this point. Um, am I wrong, or or don't the players have some accountability here? They they absolutely do have accountability, but I I you know I've I've had this argument made to me several times that. Uh, you know that that you don't blame Randy Carlisle, blame the players. And and my answer is that if the players are, if the roster Randy Carlisle is working with is, it really is such a poor roster uh, that even making the playoffs is beyond uh, reasonable expectations. Then we should be talking about firing the guy who put the roster together. Uh, and Dave Nonis has been uh, a key player in the front office of this organization for for going on five years now. Uh, th this is not somebody who just walked into the job two years ago and, and is in the middle of putting things together. I mean, he was Brian Burke's right-hand man. He's had, he has his fingerprints all over this roster. If the roster is so awful that expecting them uh, to, to even get to the 90-point mark and challenge for the playoffs is too much to ask, then we should be having a conversation about getting rid of Dave Nonis. Um, beyond that, you know, th this idea that you hold the players accountable, uh, it's, it's nice in theory. This entire core of this roster is essentially locked into long-term contracts. Many with no trades, many with no movements, uh, many with contracts that are just bad enough that you couldn't move them even if you wanted to. Uh, so it's nice to talk about accountability, it's nice to talk about uh, uh, you know expecting more from the players. Uh, realistically I'm not sure how you do it and I'm not sure you know what's the threat here? I, I mentioned this on Twitter a few days ago, what is the threat to the players? Uh, you know, th there's this idea that, well, now that Randy Carlisle's back, the players know that they're not off the hook. What are we threatening them with? You know, you, are you going to send them home? No. Are you going to send them down to the minors? You can't. Uh, are you going to trade them? I is that a threat that you're going to tell one of these guys, hey, we're going to trade you to, to an organization that's better run, where you're going to have a better chance at not finishing in last place every year? That's going to scare these guys? Uh, you know, I mean... This isn't the 50s anymore. You just, you know, say you tell the guy, "Hey, you're fired," and you bring someone else in, and he goes, he goes home and then lays bricks for the rest of his life. These guys, 
have been locked into, uh, you know, in some cases, six, seven, eight-year extensions. Uh, it, you know, it's nice to talk about accountability, um, you know, it, it, but it's it's tough in today's NHL, and it's especially tough when you're talking about accountability and they look around and all the people who should be accountable keep their jobs year after year. Michael, what 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 from your perspective? I mean, I I know your views on Carlisle, and I I respect your position. Um, but but again, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, the players are the ones on the ice. We can say the system was wrong for the personnel on hand, even though everybody thought this was Carlisle's team. I don't know. I, I find it all baffling. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, you wonder. Part of this is, uh, and this is not always the greatest uh, tact to take when structuring an argument. How the hell do you blame Carter Ashton? For, for being played three minutes a night. Yeah, I mean, how do you hold his feet to the fire? Oh, you missed you missed the coverage. You had three 45-second shifts in, a, in an entire game. I mean, it's hard to, you know, I feel badly on, on that one. And then on the same token, how do you how do you yell at somebody like a James Van Riemsdyk? You played 23 minutes of the game, scored a goal, and, 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 and four of your minutes were, were on the penalty kill. You're not doing enough? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to try to find that middle ground of, Effectively lazy and 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 underperforming player uh, in the Carlisle system. Um, and okay, and, and on that note, I mean, you're absolutely right. Look, I think I don't know Sean's views on this, but Michael, I want you to continue here. Like the four, fourth, third, and fourth line thing was a bit of a mess this year. Would you agree, Michael? I mean, we spent too much yeah. time. We could have played whether it's Domingo. You just mentioned Ashton. Um, you know, there were a number of young guys. I wrote at the end of the season in my blog, we should have had an energy line all along, like a young fourth line energy line that could change the tempo of the game at the drop of a hat, playing eight to ten minutes a night. And we never did that. We no. virtually never did it. And it's and it's well, and it's one of those things where I feel it's it's very hard. You know, you can you can say that maybe the players do need to be more accountable. They didn't commit to a system. But again, if you're not getting men, if you're not getting any ice time, and you have no reason to believe that anything's going for you, why do you want to commit to this? I mean, why do you want to commit to a guy that seems to be either berating or not playing you or, or placing undue blame on you? Uh, and at the same time, if you're being given terrible advice, why take it? I mean, that's the other aspect of trying to hold the players accountable, um, is, is that if they're being used improperly or used not at all, how can you say that they're doing things wrong? Um, uh, and on that note, I mean, now that they've fired all the assistant coaches... That is, an, that is a tacit admission, I would think, from yep. the organization that the players were listening to the wrong guys. Yep, clearly. clearly. That's, that's where they're getting their marching orders. I mean, I know Carlisle supposedly is the, is the top guy and develops the strategy and makes the roster decisions, but the teachers, right, the day-to-day -day guys were the assistant coaches. They're all gone. And, and, again, I mean, and similarly to uh, Sean's point from earlier, uh, it, I think part of it does come down to notice. I mean, you can talk about... Fraser McLaren and Colton Orr are terrible at their jobs, but it's that's Dave Nones' fault as much as anybody's. He's the one that gave them two-year deals after there was really no proof that they that either should have been sticking around. And he and you know Carlisle uses them as well. I mean, it's I I don't Colton Orr is not a bad person because he's a bad player. I don't want to dislike him for that, but he doesn't have the, the requisite skill, and he has people who are employing him in a position that he's that is over his head. It's not his fault that he's cashing those checks. Um, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe it is, but uh, no. I th so I think I think there's an element where uh, I, I anyway, I'm, I'm more willing to let the players off the hook. Um, but uh, I don't see I don't see how you can get any of these guys to listen to Carlisle at all because they can they can outlast him. I mean, say what you will, Phil Kessel is 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 uh, is a, a vastly talented player who can create anything, is incredibly well paid, and is is here for more than half a decade more. I mean, Carlisle has nothing. You know, that's that uh, three two seasons of blink of an eye to an, on an eight year deal. You know, so I no, mean, I, I hear you, Michael. Sean, what? Uh, and I know this this question may not make a lot of sense in the context of what you were just saying, Sean, in terms of the contract realities and guys not going anywhere. But uh, if if you even if you set aside the contract situations of guys locked in for five years, you know, whether it's Kessel, Faneuf, you name the people. Sean, who are really untouchables on this team? If if you were in Dave Nonis's shoes today, serious question: Who are the guys that you absolutely have to keep to build this and build around to make the, the, this team not just a playoff team? That is the low-hanging fruit. I mean, that's the least a Leaf fan should be expecting 
for a team with this kind of money in this market. So, Sean, what, who are the untouchables here that you absolutely would have to keep if you were in Nonus's position to build around to create someday a championship contender? Uh, there are no untouchables. There's, this team hasn't remotely come close to achieving anything that would justify anyone being considered an untouchable. I mean, when, when I hear the word untouchable, I, I'm thinking that that means that if a GM calls Dave Notice and says this guy's name, that Dave Notice hangs up the phone before he, before he even hears the offer. Uh, there's nobody who falls into that category. If somebody wants to make an offer on Phil Kessel, go ahead. You want to make an offer on Morgan Riley? Yeah, we'll listen to it. Uh, now, there are certainly guys um, that I would expect the price to be very high on. I mean, I would, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a believer in Phil Kessel. I think, uh, you know, I, I absolutely think you can win with, with a guy like Kessel as your best forward. Um, certainly Morgan Riley is, is not somebody I would look to move. Jonathan Bernier is not a guy I'd look to move. I wouldn't be moving Jay Gardner and Nazem Kadri. I, I know those are the names that keep coming up um, because, frankly, I mean, we, we, you get back to the talk about accountability. Well, you know, whose job is it to, to enforce the accountability on the players? It's supposed to be Randy Carlisle's, and we know that in the last two and a half years that he's been here, accountability in Toronto is, is, is three faces. It's Nazem Kadri, Jake Gardner, and towards the end of this season, it's James Reimer. Those are the three guys who get blamed for everything. Those are the three guys who, who uh, you know, in, in the case of Gardner and Kadri, they're the guys who wind up in the press box. They're the guys who get their ice time cut. Other guys, you know, the Jay McClements of the world, uh, you know, they they are out there, run out there night after night. Doesn't seem to matter what they do. Um, it's Kadri and Gardner who uh, you know who have the targets on their back. And uh, you know, if we talk about how this roster was constructed, in in my 30 years of being a Leafs fan, I've never seen a head coach who had as much influence on on the roster as Randy Carlisle has. So you know, I I don't have much sympathy when people say he doesn't have the right guys to play his system. Uh, because he was practically the assistant GM of this team over the last few years. And, and we've seen the guys come in who were supposed to be Randy Carlisle, guys who ended up being disasters. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't make anyone untouchable. Um, I would take uh, absolutely no input from Randy Carlisle as far as what sort of players he wants because um, I don't think he's long for this job one way or another, and, uh, and, and I don't think he's shown any ability to, to go out and, uh, and, and pick the right guys. Um, but I, I'd be open to anything. I, I, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be looking to trade draft picks in future. I don't think this team is remotely close to contending, so I don't see why it makes sense to be trading young guys, uh, which, again, is why I'm scratching my head over, over Kadri and Gardner's name coming up so often. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, make me an offer. Uh, untouchables are, uh, that's something that, uh, that's a label that you earn, um, and you earn it by, by winning and becoming a, a really special part of an organization. There's nobody on this roster that's remotely close to having heard that. Michael, let's start to wind down with Sean. We've taken a lot of his time on a on a Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, maybe you know, maybe my last question, Sean, or or one of them certainly. And Michael, you think about yours. Um, you know, Michael talked about hope before. Are there reasons from your perspective? You just talked about 30 years of of watching this this same movie. Uh, or similar, similar leaf movies over the past 30 years, Sean. Uh, reasons to be hopeful is—is is it some of the players whose names you just mentioned, the 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 Gardners, the you know the the Kessels, Van Riemsdyk, or, or are you in a in a bit of a not ambivalent, but a bit of a disconcerted mood right now as a, as a leaf guy? I, I'm not I'm not incredibly hopeful for the short term. I mean I, I don't I there's there's not a lot of optimism for this coming year. I, I think this team needs uh, certainly a new coach. I think it needs uh, an awful lot of either new blood or at least new thinking in the front office. Um, and, and so I, I'm not really going to shift into optimism mode until that happens. Uh, now, you know, where does the hope come from? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is pro sports. Things can change quickly. Uh, things can go in unexpected directions. I would certainly never sit here and say this team can't win. They can't make the playoffs. They can't ever contend. Uh, who knows? There's any number of, of strange directions things can go. We've seen it with this team in our lifetimes, uh, you know, on a couple of occasions where they've gone from uh, just being an absolute joke of a franchise to being in the conference finals a year later. Uh, you know, th things can change quickly. We've seen it happen enough times. And so that's where the hope comes in, that it, get, it could happen again. Uh, is there any reason to think that it will? No, I don't really see that right now. Um, but... Uh, you know, we've we've all been wrong before, and uh, you know, if you're going to hope on anything, I guess you just hope that the 
the giant, obvious, flashing warning signs that are all over this team right now uh, somehow all turn out to be wrong. Michael? Well, I, I hate to say it, I sort of share uh, with Sean here that there's a, a bleak short-term future. Um, but uh, I would at least say that if you are looking forward to anything, uh, probably the brightest spot uh, would be a guy like Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner, who, if you're a fan of fancy stats, the two of them are really a wonderful case study in, in, in keeping young, talented, offensively inclined players together. Uh, and likewise, just the general, pro there are some prospects that are coming through that, that could be exciting, uh, because I don't necessarily think this coming season is going to be one that is going to be full of all that much joy. Uh, I think I think that for a lot of Leaf fans, we're going to be in for a hard season in about a 13th place finish um, to make it very, very early in the year to make a, a prediction for next season, but still. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I, I, I see if you're looking at anything, players like uh, Andreas Janssen out in, in Sweden, uh, looking at the Marlies and how well they're doing, Josh Labo, guys like that. Um, that think, something to look forward Do you think Granberg is a guy that could play here? I think so. I think, I think he'll be, well, because, again, he's cheap. Uh, I, I, I see the Leafs next season bringing in a lot of their, a lot of their depth is going to start moving up uh, into more full-time jobs, guys like Domingo, Ashton, Holland. Granberg and Levo might get some late season call ups after during the garbage time, um, but no, I mean I think I think the biggest thing that I would be able to look forward to is is Carlisle being fired by December and the Leafs having some resurgence under a, under a, under a new coach. That that's uh, but again that's hoping and uh, you should never hope in this city. <laughs> Well, listen, Sean, on, on your way um, out today, listen, we want to thank you. Let, remind all of our, and Michael, you and I can stay on for a second and wrap up, but let's let Sean go. Um, and just remind us, and, and our listeners, that is, our viewers, uh, Sean, where they can find Down Goes Brown um, and, and the great work that you do. Uh, you can find me, the, the site is, uh, is downgoesbrown.com. You can find me on Twitter. It's uh, at, at downgoesbrown. Uh, and these days, you can find me mostly on uh, on Grantland.com. Uh, that's the, the ESPN uh, website. I'm the lead hockey writer there, and uh, uh, certainly during the playoffs, probably four or five times a week. So um, that's uh, uh, and then obviously I, I link all that stuff on my site and, and tweet it out as well. So um, uh, you know, find me in any of those spots, and, and one way or nothing, uh, one way or another, I'll, I'll spam you with all the links. Absolutely. Listen, it was I and and I'm sure Michael as well. We enjoy your work, and lots of people listening today uh, really appreciate your work on those sites, including Grantland. Uh, it's good stuff. A any parting comments, Sean? Um, you know, maybe last thing as you go. Uh, do you think will will somebody like a Kirk Muller, or, you know, might come in as an assistant, and and do you see him as somebody who could be behind the bench at, at some point? I, I suspect that you will see someone like that. I, I'm not really a, a you know, I am slightly higher on Kirk Muller than Adam Oates, but that's uh, that's not saying very much. I, you know, I, I'm not sure who is out there that is going to want to come in in an assistant role, uh, who's going to be an eventual head coach to get excited about. Um, and uh, you know, just just to sort of wrap up, I, I guess, you know, I'm 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 with uh, you know, I, I'm with you guys. I, I don't see Randy Carlyle lasting the season. I think the big question now is how much damage do they let him do to the roster uh, as far as getting his guys. It's it's all well and good to fire him in November, but if you've already traded Nazem Kadri and Jake Gardner at that point to get to get more Dave Clarkson's type guys, uh, then the damage will be done. And uh, you know, we, we opened up talking about the checklist for, for Brennan Shanahan and, and he's how he's sort of 0 for 1 on the Randy Carlisle decision. Uh, the next one is Dave Boland. The, the next question is do they actually buy their own BS about Dave Boland and, and open up the vault and treat this guy as if he's an elite player and, and sign him to yet another one of these long-term massive contracts? Um, or do they actually have the discipline to say, you know what, if you want five or six million bucks a year, you, you can go find it somewhere else and, and move in a different direction? Uh, that's So would, would you like Boland at, for example, two million a year because of his you know leadership, what he brings, but not as not paid as an elite guy? Is that what yeah, you're saying? No, I, I mean, absolutely. I, I like Dave Boland a lot. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, me I, too. I, me I, too. I, yeah. on, on my team anytime. But the problem is uh, he, he had 14 good games, and then they spent so much of the season – Treating him as this magic totem, who was the, uh, you know, his injury was used as an excuse for everything. That his agent's got the easiest job in the world right now. When it's time to sit down and talk to Dave Nolas, he's just got to pay back 
all the clips of this organization talking about uh, Dave Boland as if he's the second coming of Mario Lemieux, uh, and then turn around and say, pay me. And it's, uh, you know, like I said, this organization tells itself what it wants to hear. It, 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 the priority is not reality. The priority is, is making yourself feel good. And uh, they, they did that all year long with Dave Boland acting as if his injury was the sort of thing that could actually derail a legitimate team. Uh, and now it's a question of does, uh, does, does somebody kind of slap him in the face and say, hey, wake up, we're not going to commit millions of dollars to this pipe dream that we've been selling, or do they actually go through with it and uh, uh, you know, give out another Clarkson-type contract to a guy who is uh, you know, essentially a third-liner? You, you don't win giving out massive contracts to third-liners in the NHL, and, and the smart teams have all figured that out. And I guess now we figure out uh, uh, whether the Leafs have. Well, and you know, injuries. Every team has them. I mean, isn't isn't Boston playing without Seidenberg, for example? Um, if, know, if, if if losing your player. third line center can derail your whole season, then you've got a you've got a really really poor roster. Lots lots of good uh, lots of good you know teams lose really good players and still have some degree of success. Listen, Sean, uh, thanks for everything, and thanks for joining uh, Michael and I on the Maple Leaf Hangout today. That was great. We appreciated your insight and all the perspective you brought. Great. Thanks again for having me. Super. Sean McIndoe, down goes Brown. Michael, that was great. Excellent work from uh, and input from from Sean there. And right and at the end he was he was you know indicating again. And I think you know he he does a a uh, humor column right if, or sat, satirical column, but he's obviously a a really has tremendous insight I think into into the sports world well, and into the Leaf organization. And and I think it's 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 really good to listen to. Well, and I mean, I think if you look at it, humor has a long-standing uh, element of, you know, it, you can say a lot in jest, but you can say a lot of truth in jest, too. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think I think what is so great is that so often sporting kind of lends itself to storytelling like that, and you can kind of see how that works, which is part of, which is part of his cachet. But, no, there, there also is a, a hell of a lot of salient points behind uh, the sarcasm. And, and I think he's absolutely right that Boland is the next... Is the next uh, uh, stepping stone in the in the in the path to the Leafs? I don't know future, if you will. Um, and I don't see I, I don't see them I don't see them uh, uh, re-signing him. I still don't. I just feel that they actually maybe did learn something. This is my last shred of of perhaps rational hope for this team. Um, but I think I think that if, if Boland is willing to take a two or a three year deal at three to four million dollars in and around what he was already making. I can see that happening. I can see the Leafs doing that, but I, I just don't think I, uh, I, I, I think once bitten, twice shy. Um, that the Clarkson contract, optics-wise, right? I mean, you know, we were talking so much about how optics mattered in this, yes. and I think that for the Leafs to go and say, all right, all right, so we completely screwed the 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 Clarkson deal. We have the exact same deal coming up for this guy who got hurt and didn't play much. And in many ways, I mean, you can say that David Boland was great, or that, but that I don't think that David Boland lived up to his what he was supposed to be when he came in here because he he wasn't around enough. He played 23 games, 22 games maybe. Um, but I I don't think optically the Leafs could go and say, yeah, we're going to commit you know 25 million dollars over the next five years to David Boland. I just don't think they're going to do that on the heels of Clarkson. I hope I hope that if if at least they're going to make you know, a five million dollar mistake. They're at least going to do it on a skill guy, uh, as opposed to as opposed to you know a, a mucker. Because and it's it's true. I think you can actually win better with with you know overpaying on skill guys than you will on on grinders. Because there's actually skill backing it up. And where Boland has a lot more say determination, I guess, or heart. Um, It'll be interesting to see where that goes, Michael. Because it, you're right. That's that is that is one I think a lot of Leaf fans are looking to see how they navigate that negotiation and and whether they sort of cave, uh, or or and it's not as Sean said. It's not that a lot of us wouldn't like to see Dave Boland back on a on a kind of a what we we'll call from a team standpoint a good contract. I think a lot of Leaf fans would be happy to have him as a third line center because he does seem to provide sort of that that you know winning background, some intangibles as people like to say, leadership stuff. All of that's important, uh, along with the skill you mentioned. You know, um, it was Gretzky I think who said years ago, many years ago. But I remember I remember cutting out the clip. It was probably over 15 years ago. He said, "You know what? What beats hard work 
you know, and I'm a fan of hard work, we all are, but he said, you know, skill and hard work. So if you get a guy that, that is skilled and works hard versus, a, you know, so I'd love to see Bolin back, but again, at a reasonable price, I guess you would say. Well, and I think, and I think so much of it, what it would be is that, is again, optically for, for a lot of Leaf fans, there is this, I've noticed anyway, a lot of resentment towards, I mean, it was, you initially saw it in the Muskoka 5, you know, in, in that there's these high-paid veterans that are not contributing to a winning team. Any of Boland's goodwill will evaporate very quickly, about as quickly as Clarkson's goodwill evaporated, uh, if he signs a long-term contract and then doesn't produce. And, I mean, it, it's getting to the point where the, the, the unrestricted free agent contract is it is just the winner's curse every single time it seems it just you race to pay a guy the most knowing that he's never going to live up to it and oftentimes you're going to get burned and if you're the Toronto it's like a 99% chance you're going to get burned whether it's Commissarek whether it's whether it's David Clarkson whether it's soon to probably be a guy like David Boland um, you know I just if you want me to believe and if I think if you want a lot of Leaf fans to believe that there's any hope for the future, that there's any reason to really care about the next and coming years, it's not by giving out a boatload of money to a guy like Dave Boland. They keep doing stuff like that, and nothing happens. They're just spinning their wheels doing it. I think moving towards something, I mean, saying, making the bold choice of saying, no, we're going to play our youth. We're going to actually focus on acquiring youth, and if they were to try to ship out guys to bring in more youth or something, I would have far more confidence than... than the status quo of, okay, we're keeping Carlisle, we're going to keep Boland, we're going to keep all of these guys that haven't helped us win squat. And you're and we're supposed to be optimistic about that? Hardly. I think that's a good way to end this episode, Michael. Um, and it's not to be too discouraging. We're just trying to be realistic and assessing, and I think Sean McIndoe did a great job uh, with that today, looking at, at where the Leafs are now and, you know, glass half empty, glass half full. Well, and right now, this is, I mean, this is the most existential time for a non-playoff team, right? You're seeing all of the best teams slug it out, and you're seeing your team in stasis because there's no trades going on, and there's nothing, you know, there's no activity. Right now, this is there's a bit of navel-gazing going on because we don't have anything new to, to really latch onto. We, unfortunately, right now have much of the same, um, both figuratively and with Carlisle's return, literally. No, understood. Michael, great stuff. Uh, enjoyed chatting with you and catching up uh, and, and doing another episode number episode 29 you reminded me of the Maple Leaf Hangout before we started and I and I do hope we do some more throughout the course of the spring and summer um, Alec and Declan always behind the scenes pulling this together we thank them uh, and all the crew at, at Maple Leaf Hot Stove and I guess we'll say you know until next time Michael Whenever Until that next time, which whatever that might be, and uh, because they're still they're still playing, and in fact they're leading their series two nothing. Go Marlies, go! Absolutely, and maybe next time we'll be able to do a bit of a debrief on uh, on a Calder Cup championship. That'd be okay too. I love it. Listen, Michael, thanks again. So Michael Stevens from Maple Leaf Hot Stove, Michael Langlois from Vintage Leaf Memories. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to our special guest Sean McIndoe. Down goes Brown. Did a great job with us as a return guest on the on episode 29 of the Maple Leaf Hangout. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you missed it live, catch us on the replay. Check out uh, my site at Vintage Leaf Memories. You can get the show through there or, of course, at the Maple Leaf Hot Stove. Thanks to everybody again for tuning in. We'll catch you all next time. Take care, everybody. <laughs>